Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I presented part two of my conversation with Patricia Stewart, Massachusetts lawyer and executive director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life. We have discussed that one way to attempt to institutionalize death in our death culture is not only to legalize assisted suicide, but to also create documents and policies which tilt the playing field toward choosing death instead of choosing life. Most is such a document which favors choosing death. Most medical orders for life-sustaining treatment is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Today's program will feature part three of my conversation with Patricia Stewart, in which she will further discuss the inherent traps that exist in the signing of a most form. I will also present some relevant directives in the ethical and religious directives for Catholic health care services from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And finally, we will discuss more appropriate and ethical end-of-life decision-making. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. Heavenly Father, may we always seek to do your will in all aspects of life, including the last precious moments of life when we prepare to meet you face to face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before playing the final segment of the interview, I would like to review some of the important principles from the ERDs, the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Health Care, authored by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Part 5 of the ERDs addresses issues in care for the seriously ill and dying. Last time I reviewed the introduction of Part 5, and today I will go into some of the more specific directives that Catholic healthcare facilities must follow to be compliant with Catholic teaching. I believe the directives are very helpful for all people to follow 
and not just Catholic institutions, and not just individual Catholics. Now to the directives. Directive number 55 in this document reads as follows. Catholic health care institutions offering care to persons in danger of death from illness, accident, advanced age, or similar condition should provide them with appropriate opportunities to prepare for death. Persons in danger of death should be provided with whatever information is necessary to help them understand their condition and have the opportunity to discuss their condition with their family members and care providers. They should be offered the appropriate medical information that would make it possible to address the morally legitimate choices available to them. They should be provided with spiritual support as well as the opportunity to receive the sacraments in order to prepare well for death. Number 56. A person has a moral obligation to use ordinary or proportionate means of preserving his or her life. Proportionate means all those that in the judgment of the patient offer a reasonable hope of benefit and do not entail an excessive burden or impose excessive expense on the family or community. Number 57. A person may forego extraordinary or disproportionate means of preserving life. Disproportionate means are those that in the patient's judgment do not offer a reasonable hope of benefit or entail an excessive burden or impose excessive expense on the family or the community. Number 58. In principle, there is an obligation to provide patients with food and water, including medically assisted nutrition and hydration for those who cannot take food orally. This obligation extends to patients in chronic and presumably irreversible conditions. For example, patients who are in the vegetative state, who can reasonably be expected to live indefinitely if given such care. Medically assisted nutrition and hydration become morally optional when they cannot reasonably be expected to prolong life or when they would be excessively burdensome for the patient or would cause significant physical discomfort. For example, resulting from complications in the use of the means employed. For instance, a patient, as a patient draws uh, close to inevitable death from an underlying progressive and fatal condition, certain measures to provide nutrition and hydration may become excessively burdensome and therefore not obligatory in light of their very limited ability to prolong life or to provide comfort. Number 59, the free and informed judgment made by a competent adult patient concerning the use or withdrawal of life-sustaining procedures should always be respected and normally complied with unless it is contrary to Catholic moral teaching. Number 60, 
euthanasia is an action or omission that of itself or by intention causes death in order to alleviate suffering. Catholic healthcare institutions may never condone or participate in euthanasia or assisted suicide in any way. Dying patients who request euthanasia should receive loving care, psychological and spiritual support, and appropriate remedies for pain and other symptoms so that they can live with dignity until the time of natural death. 61. Patients should be kept as free of pain as possible so that they may die comfortably and with dignity and in the place where they wish to die. Since a person has the right to prepare for his or her death while fully conscious, he or she may not be deprived of consciousness without a compelling reason. Medicines capable of alleviating or suppressing pain may be given to a dying person, even if this therapy may indirectly shorten the person's life, so long as the intent is not to hasten death. Patients experiencing suffering that cannot be alleviated should be helped to appreciate the Christian understanding of redemptive suffering. As you can see, the ERDs are person-focused and rarely black and white in terms of details. Every person is different with regard to illness, family relationships, and what is considered to be burdensome care. Decisions are often nuanced and should generally be made primarily in the moment of need. It is impossible to foresee all circumstances at the end of life And this fact alone renders the most form inappropriate to complete before one is faced with a terminal condition. It is important, therefore, to have a health care proxy who knows your values and who can make end-of-life decisions if one is not able to do so him or herself. We will address this in part three of my interview with Pat Stewart, as well as additional dangers of most. The interview will end with some exciting announcements that Pat will make regarding bills that have been filed by Massachusetts Citizens for Life with the Massachusetts legislature. Now, here is part three of the interview. We pick it up as we discuss the danger that most does not have an expiration date, which is unlike the typical medical order. Speaking of medical orders, you know, when I was practicing, um, and I've retired about a year ago, but when I was in the hospital writing orders, like for instance, if I'm in the ICU and I'm writing orders for the patient for their care in the ICU, it was very common that uh, when, I, when it was time for the patient to leave the ICU, 
all of those orders were were terminated. So I had to, just to move a patient from one floor to another, I had to rewrite all the orders. The, the orders automatically expire. And by the same token, if when a patient leaves the hospital, those, all those orders that I wrote automatically expire. But the most form goes on forever. And if a person is not only leaves the hospital, but goes from one medical facility to another, that uh, most form is still active. That's right. Anywhere in Massachusetts, if you sign a most form because you live on Cape Cod and have an accident in Springfield and are taken to a hospital in Springfield, and they don't know who your doctor was who signed the form, they don't care. They'll just follow whatever the form says. Yeah, yeah. So those are, um, those are some, uh, some real traps. So I, what should our listeners do? Uh, there, there, is a, there is a place for uh, the most form in some cases. So how would you advise people to um, approach these forms in particular? And what is the, an even more important form uh, to be aware of? Well, I, I would advise great caution with respect to these forms. Clearly, they have a purpose in a very limited segment of patient population, Mm -hmm. and that is for people whose death is truly near at hand and unavoidable. Right. Um, In which case, you know, they would be appropriate to indicate whether it's appropriate to resuscitate uh, an individual or not. Right. But for most of the rest of the population, these are requiring people to make premature choices about their health care that will end in a premature death. Right. Um, and I would point out that, you know, there are only two of the world's major religions that forbid hastening death, and that is Catholicism and Judaism. Mm. And when you're confronted with a situation where you're being denied care, um, your greatest weapon is your sincerely held religious belief mm-hmm. that that care should be provided. The law and the law protects in Massachusetts and considers a patient's religious beliefs when that patient is um, practicing their right to decide to accept or refuse treatment. Right. An alternative to um, these most forms, in my view, is a health care proxy. Right. A health care proxy is a legal document in which you appoint someone to make health care decisions for you if you're unable to make or communicate those decisions for yourself. Unlike the most form, which takes effect immediately, when you sign it, the healthcare proxy doesn't take effect until and unless you lose the ability to communicate yourself or to co- or to convey your your desires or your healthcare wishes. Right. And as soon as you regain the ability to make your own decisions, the healthcare proxy ceases to have any effect. So yeah. for most people, you can say no or not yet to most. As I say, but for the seriously ill, that may be it may be useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the, uh, the the healthcare proxy gives a person much more freedom, much more control over their healthcare decisions because, first of all, they retain control at all times, and when they're uh, unable to make decisions, that's when the healthcare proxy uh, form kicks in, and the person in advance can talk to the um, proxy what their wishes are. 
you know, what their attitude toward end-of-life care is. And so they can trust that um, this person will make the right decision for them. Not any old person in, in any old uh, uh, healthcare institution, which would be the people who will be making decisions for you if you've signed a most form. Right. Well, when I tell people in end-of-life planning with respect to health care issues, I give them four key words, share, select, sign, and send. And as you've just suggested, share your religious beliefs and mm-hmm. your values about health care and life-sustaining treatment with your family, with your friends, with health care providers who may be involved with your future care. You can use my book as a guide. Mm-hmm. Some people become anxious about this kind of discussion, fearing that it's all about death and dying. But this is not true. It's really about end of health. Mm -hmm. And it may be a very temporary end of health from which a person makes a complete recovery. But if in the course of that recovery period, that person is unable to communicate their health care wishes, you need to have somebody available who can make that um, decision for you and convey your, your choices. Right. Select someone you trust, as you Mm -hmm. suggested, to speak for you if needed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a Catholic. It just has to be a person. If you're a Catholic, it has to be a person who's willing and agrees to follow Catholic beliefs. Right. You can select also someone else to fill in if that first choice is not available. Mm -hmm. And then sign. You sign a health care proxy. It's a legal document to appoint someone to speak for you if you can't speak for yourself mm-hmm. with a health care decision. Everyone over the age of 18 should have a health care proxy. Mm-hmm. And the person you appoint then is your health care agent. The second person is your alternate agent who serves only if your first choice is not available. Mm-hmm. This is your best protection if you become incapacitated and you can't make a medical decision for yourself. You can sign a health care proxy at any time, but it's never too soon, and yeah. you don't need a lawyer. I'm not trying to do myself out of any business, but right. the fact <laughs> of the matter is you don't need a lawyer yeah. to design a health proxy. And lastly, send a copy to your agent, to your alternate agent, to your doctor, and a hospital where you may be admitted if mm-hmm. you become ill, and keep the original for yourself where, mm-hmm. and tell somebody where it is in case it's needed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, a, that's all great information, and I, and I just want to reiterate what I... I uh, said before was that you uh, had written an, a very handy uh, booklet called the, uh, the the healthcare decision guide for Catholics, and I understand it's going through a, a revision right now. Is that right? Yes, it is. I'm updating it, and it will be hopefully available in print and in a uh, digital version for the first time at some point this summer. Oh, great, great. So, uh, how can people kind of uh, check uh, into that? Um, in the summer, where where would they go for that kind of information? Well, they can go to my website is www.sweetapplepress.com, mm-hmm. and the the book will be available for purchase through the website. Maybe you'll allow me to come back and talk about it when it's available. They oh yeah, find out about it that, that way. <laughs> that would be that would be terrific. So the website is sweetapplepress. Dot com, right. Oh, okay. Sweet One app- word, sweetapplepress.com. Okay. Well, speaking of coming back, I, I hope you'll um, also be able to come back to talk about uh, other things you're doing uh, as Executive Director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life. Uh, maybe you could give us just a, a little 
preview as to what you might be working on now or what's in the forefront of your mind with MCFL? Well, we're focusing most currently on defeating assisted suicide. Yeah. I know you've been doing a lot of work, great work, on uh, getting the word out about the dangers of assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. And Mass Citizens is participating in a collaborative effort with other pro-life organizations um, to uh, also uh, make people aware of this now the 10th time around that the Compassion and Choices crowd has put this bill forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're very focused on uh, making sure we defeat that this year. And then we've also filed five pro-life bills in the legislature, which will hopefully come up for hearing. Yeah, that's very exciting. This summer. And one is to, um, they're all proactively to underscore the humanity of the unborn child. Mm-hmm. The first is by recognizing her as a victim of violent crime. Mm-hmm. The next is to protect her from abortion based solely on a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Right. Uh, mandating education for the young about pregnancy and prenatal development. Yes. Our fourth bill mandates sensible criteria for judges to follow in assessing the minority of a minor seeking abortion. Mm -hmm. Currently, there are no standards for that. And lastly, to require conscious protection for taxpayers who oppose abortion on moral grounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are excellent um, um, bills to be filed and it, one reason I like them is they put us on the offense. It seems like in Massachusetts we're always playing uh, defense. We're trying to you know hold the line against the next um, atrocity that uh, that is uh, coming down the pike like the Roe Act that people are uh, I'm sure familiar with from from the last legislative session. Right. Well, you know, that was a stinging disappointment that yes. it was enacted last January. But, you know, we have to continue to work incrementally to persuade people and teach people about the, the uh, evil of abortion. And I think these bills all approach that subject in, in a different way. And uh, the secret is to continue to put issues before them, little pieces of information yep. that eventually will add up to a consensus that, you know, this really, abortion thing is really a bad idea. Mm-hmm. That's our intention. That's our focus is education this year. And um, so we're hopeful that we can make some progress there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's important to say that the law is a teacher. And uh, the, Absolutely. the more you can get the uh, legislation out there, the, the more you're educating uh, people. Appreciate so much your... Um, your work and your uh, educating the public about these important uh, issues. Well, thank you. I really enjoy the process of education and sharing the information uh, with people and uh, solving problems. You know, as, as I say, that was what my law work was about, problem mm-hmm. solving. And, mm-hmm. and this has given me an opportunity to uh, solve much even bigger problems for society and try to cure some of these evils that are poisoning people's lives and our society as a whole. So I'm working for the Lord these days. Yes. And, uh, he's a great boss. <laughs> right, that's right. A very kind boss. He, he can, there he is. can yes, be he de- is. demanding at times. but <laughs> um, Very challenging sometimes, but very rewarding at the same right. time. Well, before I let you go, any, any uh, final thoughts you want to leave people with? Be hopeful. Be mm-hmm. positive. 
Um, you know, I've often said um, we fight on the side of the angels in this work of defending life and educating yes. people to the truth of life and its meaning and its value. And um, we can't fail because we're on that side. It just may take us longer to get there, and it's persistence that's needed. But I'm very hopeful that um, eventually we will prevail. Yes. And I want people to feel that way as well. Yeah, well, those are good words. And um, one thing I always think about is uh, Mother Teresa told us we're not, we're not called to be uh, successful. We're called to be faithful. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we do know that ultimately um, we will be successful. So thanks very much, Pat. I really appreciate the time, and uh, I look forward to having you come back in the future. I look forward to it as well, and thank you so much for allowing me to share your time with your listeners today. It's been delightful. Yes, thank you, Pat. This concludes the third and final part of my interview with Patricia Stewart. You have heard the dangers of MOLST, or POLST, medical orders for life-sustaining treatment, or physician orders for life-sustaining treatment. It arose from the same corrupt source in Oregon that gave America the beginning of the assisted suicide movement in this country. It is essentially a cost-cutting tool disguised as a personal autonomy document. It is biased toward choosing death rather than choosing life. The best advice I can give is to never complete such a form unless and until one is in the moment of need facing a life-threatening illness. Since most and pulsed is everywhere now, they are hard to avoid. Therefore, the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Washington, D.C., has formulated a modification of most, which is not biased toward death. This form, as well as additional information about most or post, can be found on the National Catholic Bioethics Center website, which is ncbcenter.org. That's ncbcenter.org. Other aspects of end-of-life care can be found on this website, including a Catholic guide to end-of-life decisions, which includes health care proxy and advanced directive forms which adhere to Catholic teaching. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect, and at the very least, we should first do no harm. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rolo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrolo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, 
First, do no harm.